I ask you to take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Today we go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. When you get there, you're going to start at verse 1. It's on page 1357 in the Pew Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we continue our sermon series through that. You know, it's interesting. As you know, I've been doing this a while and we've been together a while. I always either research something or study something or try to find a connection. And this week's was really easy for me as I read Scripture. We'll read the Scripture in just a minute. But in January of 2019, Angela and I went to Israel. Not just Angela and I. We went with the group, and, and the, we knew two other people on this group. Kevin and Sharon went with us. Kevin and Sharon Cocker were with us on this trip to Israel in uh, January of 2019. It was an awesome trip, and at the time of my going in January of 2019, many of you had spoken to me and said, when you come back, can we plan a trip and take the church back who wants to go? And so I went with that intent of coming back, and we all know that when we got back, not long after that, the world changed. And so we still find ourselves three years later not having taken that next step. And I didn't bring that up to try to encourage people to sign up and say you want to go to But if that's something that you're interested in, we might be getting near a point where we can think about something like that again. And so if Israel has been something that you would desire to do. I need you just to let me know. Because it takes a while to plan something like this, and it takes a while to save for something like this. And so while this is not the reason I brought it up, if it's something that you're interested in, I need to hear from you in the days ahead. But while in Israel, we stopped at a place where you could pay about $5 American and they would let you ride a camel. The whole tour bus just pulled right over. And we went, and, and it doesn't matter, but the Cochrans and the Rasniks on this trip, we were the babies of the bunch. And you guys know I'm just not that young anymore, but we're the babies of the bunch, and so that may, may or may not matter. And so we pull over at this place, and, and there are a couple of camels there, and you can pay $5 American to ride a camel. And they would cause that, and people were excited about this. They were looking forward to this, and they even told us about it before that day so that we could be ready. I guess so we'd have our $5 ready. And so we, we get to this place, and it's a clear tourist situation. I get that. And so people pay, lining up to pay to pay $5 to ride a camel. And the camel would get there, and they would make the camel get down on all of its legs, off of its legs and down, because the shoulders of a camel are anywhere from six to eight feet high on these camels that we were on. And so when they bring you down, the hump and the head of the camel are even higher than that. And they would have this camel kneel down on all of its legs and knees and get down like that. And then they would roll this rolling ladder up and then let you still climb up and then get on the camel to be able to ride it. And then this first person would go on it and ride the camel around this little parking lot 
And after a few minutes, they would get off and they could say they've ridden a camel in Israel. And that's pretty cool. And then the next person, well, we're sitting there watching it. And uh, the Razniks had already decided we weren't riding a camel today. <laughs> Just to let you know which side of the story we, we rest upon. And so we get there and then this lady gets up, camel squats down, ladder rolls up, lady climbs up, lady gets on, ladder pulled away, camel stands up, lady way up in the air. Remember, I'm the baby of the bunch. And then that camel has a fit. I don't know what spooked it. I don't know what challenged it. I don't know what scared it. But that camel just starts going crazy. Reminds me a little bit about like a bull at a, at a rodeo. And that poor lady up on top, she was having a time and we were hoping that she was going to stay on top because any minute we figured she was going to be coming on down. And you could see the panic in the camel jockey's eyes as they tried to calm this camel down, but this camel was not having anything. So eventually they got this camel calmed down. And they got the camel calmed down. They got the lady off. And it was a mess. She was freaking out a little bit and everything. And then those guys, they rolled the ladder back up to the camel and on the ground and they go, it's your turn. And they point to the next person in line. And the next person in line goes, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and there's a long line of people on our tour bus that were going to ride a camel that already paid their $5. And nobody wants to ride the camel after that. So those guys made a lot of money. The camel didn't ride very many people. We all got on the bus, and I had a story that three years later I could tell you that the Lord is going to use to tie this into it. But they did not want to ride the camel anymore. Now, I told you that we had already decided that Jeff and Angela weren't going to be camel riders that day. But had we planned to be camel riders that day, and had we stood in line and paid our $5 and seen what had happened to that poor lady on top of that really tall camel, there's a good chance we would have changed our mind and not ridden a camel that day. So I, I don't want to come off as some kind of heroic individual here because we didn't ride the camel either. And you're going, Jeff, God's going to have to do a work to make that matter to this series. To this. So let's stand together and read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to read the entire chapter, which is just 13 verses, but let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, picking up in verse 1, reads as follows. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for, your, for your, you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I can no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. But now, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all your affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. 
For now we live, if you stand, fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy which we rejoice for your sake before our Lord, before our God? Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. We're going to spend a little bit of time walking back through 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Look at verse 1. It starts off with one of my favorite scriptural words of all time, therefore. Now, church, we need to understand that we see this word, therefore, that we need to be ready to remember and read it as because of the things we've just discussed. That's what a therefore. I think I've heard somebody say it before. When you see the word therefore, you need to figure out what it's there for. So what things? And so I went back just a little bit into chapter 2 to talk about these things that Paul had talked to them about. In verses 2, I mean in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Paul said, because we had charged you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Verse 14, because you also suffered for the gospel from your countrymen. Verse 15, because you faced persecution for the cause of Christ from people who do not please God. And verse 16, because you were also forbidden to talk to unbelievers about Jesus and the gospel. Those things Paul had just mentioned to them in chapter 2 earlier in the letter that they're now reading from him. So verse 1, therefore, Paul says that we heard you had encountered all types of challenges because of your faith. Verse 1, Paul makes this statement, when we could endure it no longer. Now, if you have your scripture up, you can look at verse 5. Paul changes this statement just a little bit. He says, when I could no longer endure it. What could Paul no longer endure? Scripture tells us in 1 and in 5, he could no longer endure the not knowing how they were doing. Do you know it's interesting in today's day and time? You want to know how somebody is? You call them. You want to know how somebody is? You text them. You want to go how, see how somebody is? You scroll or whatever it is when you watch somebody's Facebook when they don't know you're watching them. What is that called? Stalking them, yes. You see how they're doing on Facebook. Whatever it is, when we want to know how somebody's doing, we can walk right up to them and go, hey, Art, how you doing? And we can find out. But Paul is in Athens. We've talked about that with Timothy and Silas and the gang. And this church is in Thessalonica, and they're having their challenges that Paul has talked to them about. They've also heard that Paul had his challenges. Remember, we went back to Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 17 to talk about what Paul had encountered in Philippi, what Paul had encountered in Thessalonica while he was there, and then what Paul had encountered in Berea before they finally just said, okay, it's time to go to Athens. In one of Paul's more personal statements that he'll make, in all that he writes, 
He said, I couldn't take it any longer, not knowing how you were doing. Paul was concerned for them. Now, we need to understand that Paul probably has a pretty good reason to be concerned for them. We know, and Paul has shared with us in his writings, all that he endured to be faithful to the gospel. But Paul had been a Christian for many years. Paul had matured in his faith, and he had grown through each of those challenges. But we have to recognize that when Paul was in Thessalonica, he's talking to people, he's planting a church, he's starting with a group of people that don't yet have a strong foundational faith of which to build off of. And so Paul understands that challenges from the gospel make life hard on the believer. And Paul didn't know how they were doing because he was separated from them. Couldn't get any word on how they were doing. He struggled to endure, to hold it all together. Have you ever felt that way? You just didn't know something, and you needed to find out. Well, what you do today is you call them, or you talk to somebody who knows them, or you text them, or you email them, or you stalk them, but you find out. Paul is the same way. He just didn't have access to any of the things that we have access to today. And so Paul decided that he needed to figure out what was going on. Have you ever felt that way? You struggle to wait, to not know, to trust. Now, before we talk about what Paul did, let's talk about why was Paul concerned this greatly. Look at verse 3. So that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. Now, the phrase, these afflictions, could have been the very things that we just read in chapter 2 that they, the church in Thessalonica, the faithful ones, were encountering. It could have been, if you read, it could have been the afflictions that they saw Paul go through. It could have been the afflictions that Paul shared with them that they were liable to go through. Paul was concerned greatly about how they were doing in their faith as they walked through these challenging times. Even though, Paul says in verse 4, we told you that you would suffer tribulation. Church, if you're going to live faithful to the gospel, if you're going to live faithful to the word of God, if you are going to be effective, an effective witness for Christ, you will suffer. You will face challenges. You will struggle. Paul talks about how it had happened before in verse 4 and how it's now happening to them. Persecution because of the gospel can shake a person. Facing challenges for sharing your faith seems strange. It also demotivates people from pushing forward in the truth. But it shouldn't be a surprise to us. 
In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said this. He said, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have, notice Jesus was pretty strong, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. If you are faithfully serving Christ, obedient to God's word, you will, from the words of our Savior, face persecution. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John continues this thought that he learned from Jesus because, see, when we try to share our faith and then we face challenges, we have a choice to make. And John goes on in 1 John chapter 4 talking to those in the church, and he says, don't forget that he who you serve, he who is in you is greater than he's in the world. What he's saying is, is that battle, it's not going away, but you win. If you stay faithful. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, Scripture says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Back to the camel ride. Hopefully you're seeing a connection here, but I bet you right now, that based upon this story that I've shared about the camel and the potential for danger and injury, many in this room, when I first talked about riding the camel, said, oh, I want to go to Israel. When I go to Israel, I want to ride a camel. I'm already going to set aside my $5 for that trip because when we go there, I'm going to ride a camel because who would not want to ride a camel in Israel on a trip with other church folk? And I bet you when I start talking about that, some of you go, I want to go, and I want to ride a camel. But now, when we go, because we'll likely stop at that same place, you're going to go, uh-uh, not riding that camel. I want to. I really want to ride that camel, but that story Jeff told me, it shook me, and I'm over my camel riding desires. You guys get the connection, right? This story about the rogue camel, for most of you, has broken you from desiring to ride a camel. But what if I told you that if you rode the camel, you would be okay? That you may fall, you may get hurt. It might be scary, and it might seem crazy to other people around you, but that if you would ride that camel, you would ultimately, ultimately survive and be fine. Would you still ride the camel or not? Well, you're going with Jeff, I, I might right after Jeff rides it. but we see a little bit of the connection. But most people, if they're going to ride the camel in Israel, they're going to want some assurances. I'm going to need to know that's not the same camel Jeff told me about in 2019. 
I'm gonna need to see some bumper guards and some rails and some seat belts. I'm gonna need to see that this thing is tame and calm, and I'm gonna go last in line to make sure he's not just pretending and make sure everybody else does fine. We would want to ride the camel only if we could get assurances that we would not face anything negative. But can I tell you that in camel riding, that's not possible. Sometimes things just happen and camels get spooked and people get caught up in that. Can I also tell you that if you're going to live faithfully for Jesus, I mean absolutely faithfully, obedient, with an urgency of the gospel that we talked about in Sunday school, and I'm just going to leave that as my only Sunday school plug for this moment. Urgency of the gospel. I told you all of those things. I also can't provide you assurance that you won't be challenged, judged, treated harshly, treated wrongly, imprisoned, killed for your faith. I just can't do it. It's there. And I believe that many in the church have allowed the stories of Paul and Silas and these Thessalonian believers and martyrs of the past to shake us. And while we believe the gospel, there's a piece of us that wants to be faithful in the gospel, and there's a piece of us that knows we should be in the gospel, but there's an overriding larger piece of us that's currently winning in the church today, whether that church is this church or the church as a whole, where we're shaking. We're not going to let persecution run crazy in our lives. We just soon temper it back just a little bit. And church, in between Revelation chapter 20 and Revelation chapter 21, something happens. Now, if you want to go read the rest of chapter 20, the end, what you can find out, it says at the end of chapter 20 of Revelation, that those whose names were not found written in the Lamb's book of life were cast into the lake of fire forever. And in Revelation chapter 21, all of those who know Jesus, the new heaven and the new earth, it begins. But we need to understand that the majority of people in this world and maybe a majority in your life they will never get to see Revelation chapter 21. Because without faith in Christ, they will die separated from Christ forever. And so here we're stuck with a shaken church and an absolutely need to be faithful Gospel. What do we do, church? What do we do? So Paul talks, and he said Paul had been faithful to share the gospel with them. Paul had warned them that sharing the gospel would bring challenges. Paul heard that they had been faithful. 
Paul heard that they had also faced challenges, and he was concerned about them. So what did Paul decide to do? Before we talk about what Paul decided to do, when you find those situations lining up in someone's life, you got to do something. You got to be ready to take action, church. If you know that situations where there are people who are seeking to be faithful, facing challenges, you got to find out, are you being faithful? Because see, the gospel is worth all the cost that might come. Paul said, verse 1, we thought it best to be left in Athens alone. Verse 2, we sent Timothy. Paul sacrificed and chose to be left alone in Athens so that Timothy and likely others that were with Paul, which is therefore what left Paul alone, could go back to Thessalonica and check on the people. Paul desired for Timothy to do two things, look at it in verse 2, to establish you concerning your faith and to encourage you concerning your faith. Now, I want to point out one word there, and it's not faith, it's your. This is not faith in general that we're talking about. This is not Webster's definition of faith. This is not Paul's faith. It's not Timothy's faith. This is the specific faith of the specific individuals facing challenges because of their faithfulness to the gospel. This morning, we are not here to discuss our faith. We're not here to discuss my faith. Scripture teaches us, if we use its very words, that God has placed you here in this service together or online to encourage you and to establish in your faith. That your lines up with every single individual in this room or online. It is your faith that Paul is seeking to establish and encourage. Do you know without faith, Hebrews eleven six says, it's impossible to please God? Goes on, I say goes on, but it's actually verses before. In Hebrews eleven one says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know what that tells me in camel terms? I'm going to ride that camel because I'm supposed to, and I'm going to hope it don't throw me off, because, but because I'm supposed to ride it, if it throws me off, okay. But that's a whole lot better answer than going, I heard camels once upon a time threw somebody off, so therefore I'm never, ever going to ride a camel. In the church... We've heard of people that have been challenged because of their faith. And Paul's sending Timothy, sending his word to challenge me and you. Paul says in verse 5, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you. And you know, it's interesting. When you read what Satan wants to do with the Christian and their faith, it's not necessarily that... Satan needs you to sin in this overly aggressive world, even though he might try that. Do you know that all Satan needs to be effective in doing in the life of a saved child of God is just to shut him up? 
See, the people who don't know Jesus yet, he's not worried about them because they don't know Jesus. All he's got to do is make sure that these people who don't know Jesus yet don't find out about Jesus. And the way he does that is by tempting us to temper our witness. Tempting us to say nothing. Paul states, you'll either live with an established and encouraged faith, or you'll be challenged to lay your faith down. You will quit living lives that are effective for the gospel. Back to the camel. What if I told you that if you rode the camel, that there would be dangers, that there would be risks, But what if I also told you that if you rode the camel, accepting all of the potential challenges that could come, that someone could or someone might or someone would come to know Jesus as their Savior. Or that someone else might be encouraged to begin to live a life that is gospel-centered. Would you perhaps want to ride the camel then? In my mind, I think it comes down to, well, it depends upon the person that might come to know Jesus. You know, it's interesting how we make decisions about what we'll do based upon the value of the person that we might be doing it for. And you're going, well, yeah, I would do anything for my wife. I would do anything for my children. I would do anything for my grandchildren. But then there becomes this fuzzy line out there that I'm going to stop doing anything for, and then I'm going to start being tempted to do less. We each have these circles. And Paul's going to talk about those circles here in just a moment. But would you want to ride the camel if you knew that you riding the camel, taking the risk of being faithful to ride the camel, would potentially lead someone to accepting Jesus as their Savior? Would you now be more open to riding the camel? Or would you still be tempted to look at the challenges and pass on living the life, taking the action that could help somebody come to know Jesus? Verse 6, Timothy returned to Paul and he shared the faithfulness of the people. The outcomes, verse 7, we were comforted in our afflictions because of you. Verse 8, we live gospel-centered lives. That's my parenthetical addition right there. When you stand fast. We are more thankful to God, verse 9. Our joy increases, verse 9. Verse 10, our prayers increase. Verse 10, we desire to see you more. Verse 10, we desire to see your faith perfected. Think of the characteristics of faith that Paul is seeking for them so that they be established to come to faith to begin with, so that they're encouraged to live that faith, so that they're steadfast, verse 8 talks about, and so that they're perfected. Paul is helping them grow in their maturity in the faith. But Paul also said, did you notice that? That when we heard about your faithfulness in the sign, in the face of challenges, that it helped us. We were comforted because of you. 
We were more thankful. We had more joy, more prayers, and a greater desire for you. That's how the gospel works. When people faithfully live gospel-centered, it impacts other people. If you go back and spend time studying missionaries and martyrdom and the challenges that they face, what you're going to find is historically, whenever the church, whenever Christianity has faced challenges in the mission world where people have been persecuted, injured, or killed for faith, you would think that the applications for the International Mission Board or the North American Mission Board or whatever mission-sending organization you want to bring up, you would think, well, that's going to stop things. Historically speaking, every time there has been an overriding persecution of the gospel someplace in this world, applications to become a missionary, to go, have increased exponentially. It's the craziest thing. You see, in a world where we stand here, and when we see challenges for what we know we should do, what we want to do, we tend to go, no, thank you. And we're tempted to step away. People who have a God-called perspective, a gospel-centered perspective on their life, not only do not step away, they step into the fight. Church, that's what we're supposed to do. We can allow our situations to cause us to stand still or to back away, or we can step into the fight. Look at verse 10. Paul says, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face, and catch this, and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now, if you're like me, when you've first heard that, you're going, my first reaction is, as I'm reading this, I'm going, my faith is just fine. And it's okay if that was your initial reaction, because that's how I justify making it my initial reaction. That doesn't make us right. Paul is saying to these people who know Jesus, who have faced challenges, who have remained faithful in those challenges, he says that we want to come back and see you so that we can perfect your faith, help you grow even more in your faith. And you know what's interesting? In order for you to ever allow someone to be used by God to help perfect your faith, you first must recognize that your faith might need some help. And so Paul is telling these faithful people in the church who are facing struggles, who have been faithful so far, you need to keep growing. So I wanted to look, and Paul gives us this picture of what a perfected faith looks like. Look at verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another. Of course. Jesus has already told us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
And so in order for our faith to be perfected, if you stop right there, it says that we are to love one another. Paul is writing to the church. What he's by default saying is, is that those who know Christ ought to love, support, and encourage those who know Christ. Because it's hard to be a faithful follower of Christ on a day-in, day-out basis, and if we don't find ways to fellowship and come together and encourage one another, we could be tempted to take a step back instead of staying in the fight. So our faith is perfected when we love one another. So when we come to church here, we are hopefully in a big unifying love fest as we come to know the gospel of Jesus and we encourage each other. And so that's why when it comes time for us to leave in a minute, don't bolt, stop. See somebody, encourage somebody, allow the, the, the spirit of God to draw you to somebody because there's a purpose for this, to perfect your faith. Love one another. But it doesn't stop there. Go back to verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to all. To all. Just as we do to you. Paul's saying, you know, remember we rolled into Thessalonica. You guys didn't know anything about Jesus. You didn't act like him. You weren't faithful. And we came and we shared the gospel. But to all, do you know that if your faith is perfected, you will love all? It is one thing to love church people, to love family, to love friends. And we should love these people probably much more than we even do. But it is an entirely different thing, let me challenge you, church, to love all. Loving all. Just think about that. Loving all. You talk about a camel ride when you decide that you're going to allow the gospel to change your heart to the point that you're going to love all. That's going to come with costs, fears, challenges, but such great and wonderful opportunities. Loving all. As Jesus would have you love all, not just one another, but all is a camel that you should desire to get on. But not that's not it. Verse 13. An established faith is a blameless heart before God, a life committed to holiness. Paul says, if you're going to have perfected faith, it's one thing to say no to the big sins of life. They know there are certain things that you don't want your pastor to do. Don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. And we could put together the big list of things we don't want the pastor to do. I get it. But a perfected faith, an established faith, is not just a life that lives and doesn't do the big things wrong. A perfected life is one who desires holiness, which is adherence to God's desire and command for us in every single situation. It's an entirely different thing 
to say no to the big sins and then make sure that you can align yourself well with somebody else. Well, at least I'm not them. It's an entirely, entirely different thing to have a desire to be blameless and holy before God. You talk about a camel ride. If you decide right now that I want to be holy and blameless before God, I want my life to be lived in a way that pleases him, glorifies him, I want to live that life, well, then get ready because when you get on that camel called holy and blameless, you're going to face challenges. It's going to start with the things you hold dear in your heart. Those habits you didn't even know were habits. The Spirit of God is going to move the furniture around in your life is how I tend to look at it. Are you willing to ride the camel of blameless and holiness to a perfected faith and allow God to come in there and he gets to set all the rules, all of them. It will come with risks, challenges, and fears. But boy, will you ever be drawn intimately close to Jesus. And what Paul is saying is, is that if you will allow your faith to be perfected, and you are brought intimately close to Jesus and have a heart to love all, oh my goodness, what a powerhouse of Jesus you will become. We see that, right? But don't forget, riding a camel comes with risks. Which way you step in, church? Now, I'm not talking about that camel in Israel any longer, and you guys know that. The Holy Spirit's been telling us exactly what that camel looks like in our life, every single one of us, as we walk through this. Which way you step in? Are you going to step toward cautious and safe and easy? Or are you going to step toward love, loving all, holy, and blameless? And it's at this point that your desire says, I want perfected faith, love, holy, and blameless. I want that. But it's your feet, your life that's gonna to have to join you. And the church is shaken when our heart and our feet are opposed to each other. And it's my prayer that this morning, that the truth of God's word, that the working of the Holy Spirit in your life will cause you to see that I need my heart and my feet in alignment. And that's still challenging because you're either going to take your heart away and walk with the world or you're going to tell your feet, I'm the boss. We're going to be faithful. 
Church, you got a choice today. Which way are you stepping? Don't be shaken. Don't be shaken. Let's stand and pray with one another. This scripture rang true to me in many ways. And I find myself needing to be more blameless, more holy, and more loving. I'll tell you that. And I desire to be. And I get to fight the same fight you got. Am I willing to pay the cost that becoming blameless, holy, and loving might bring? The rewards are clear. Which way are you stepping? Let's pray.